0: While you remain standing with me this morning, without further ado, we're going to bring our speaker this morning to uh, this podium to speak to us. This lady works very hard around Christian Life Church, and above all, we just got to celebrate 25 years, and so we're uh, coming back from California. Thank you to the congregation that helped us uh, be able to make that happen. What a great trip we had, and uh, back for Mother's Day. And uh, she always brings a, a great word to this congregation. And I felt it appropriate today, on Mother's Day, to have the Mother of the Church bring the Word of the Lord to us today. Come and bring the Word of the Lord to us today.
1: Well, praise the Lord, everyone. You may be seated. Michael Brooks, did my husband just call me the Mother of the Church? I heard that too. (laughs) I'm so uh, honored to be standing here today and what a beautiful day. It may be raining outside, but I have a feeling that there are several mothers in this place that their hearts are smiling because their children are sitting beside them. I look across the congregation and I see several guests that are here that I know have come in from Mother's Day. I do want to say that uh, my husband and I would like to welcome home our son, Jared, who came in just in time for Mother's Day, um, <laughs> Jared Golly. <laughs> he is uh, we, our adopted son. If you'll remember last year, he was with us on Easter, and uh, we had family portraits together. And so when we found out that he was coming in this weekend, I told him, make sure you guys do not leave before I get another family picture. So I know that there are several mothers that are smiling today. And I'm going to be honest with you that the Lord has laid something very specific on my heart for the mothers in this place. And so I'm not necessarily here to entertain you. So what I thought that... Uh, I would do for your uh, entertainment enjoyment was to bring a very special precious group of children out. Brantley, would you like to come stand with Aunt Nett? Come on. That's what I thought. And these young children are getting ready to serenade their mothers So if you mothers are wanting to get video and you're wanting to get pictures, I am giving you a free pass to stand up, come on up to the front so that you can see your sweet little darlings up here singing to you. And I believe that the song that they are singing is to the tune, You Are My Sunshine. So why don't you put your hands together and welcome the youngest portion of our children's ministry classes. Come on up, moms. All right, let's give them one more big hand. <laughs> Those kids are my heartbeat. I love being able to be a part of children's ministry. We have such an incredible staff. You guys bring your kids every Sunday morning and you send them in to some wonderful ladies that invest in your children. And I got to tell you that when you have the resources of Uh, children's ministry staff that are willing to invest in your children. Man, what an incredible resource that are there to help parents and to instill in your children a love for God. And that is the most important thing. Amen? I'm going to draw your attention to the book of Exodus, the second chapter, verses 1 through 10. And there went a man of the house of Levi... And took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes. And dabbed it with slime and with pitch. And put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maids to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it, and the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, because I drew him out of the water. I want to speak to you for just a few moments today on a subject titled, The Blessing of a Jacobed Spirit. The Blessing of a Jacobed Spirit. Would you right where you sit, would you pray with me that the Lord would have his way, that he would open our hearts and open our minds to receive from him what he has for us today. God, we worship you this morning, and we're so grateful for the opportunity to be in your presence. God, I'm asking this morning that you would open our hearts, God, to receive what you have for us, Lord, that you would anoint your servant, God, because without you, we are unable to do anything, God, but we're believing you that you are going to do a work in this place, and we are going to give you glory in advance for it. In the name of Jesus, let everyone say amen. Now, I know it's Mother's Day, but we're going to have a good time in here, and I know that you're going to help me preach or speak, right? (laughs) From the time that children graduate from primary class in Sunday school, they are familiar with the story of Moses. Pictures of a small basket floating in the Nile River with a perfect-looking baby tucked safely inside hang on classroom walls. In the picture, you will find a young girl, the baby's sister, hiding in the bulrushes on the banks of the Nile, keeping an eye on things. And then there is the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, frolicking in the water in front of the palace who finds the basket and baby and takes him as her own son. But what is missing from that story in the primary classes is an understanding of the history of the baby's family. And I want to lay a foundation of that with you this morning. You see, Adam and Eve had a son named Seth. From Seth's lineage came Enoch, who was righteous before the Lord, and the Lord took him. Enoch had a son that we all have heard of, Methuselah. How many of you ever, ever said they're as old as Methuselah? Methuselah, who according to history was the longest living man, dying at the age of 969. Papal, you thought 92 was old. How would you like to live 969 years? But he died in 1656 a.m., seven days before the start of the great flood. Methuselah's grandson was Noah. We all know the story of Noah, how he built an ark and saved two of every kind of animal when God destroyed the earth with a flood. God gave him specific instructions of the type of wood to use, gopher wood, and to cover it with pitch so that it would float and save their lives. Also on the ark was Noah's wife and his sons, him, Shem, and Japheth. Shem's lineage spanned nine generations, and then Abraham was born. Abraham fathered a promised son with Sarah, his wife. The son's name was Isaac. Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, had twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the younger son who stole his brother's birthright as the firstborn son. And as a result, Jacob received his father's blessings. Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night long in a place called Bethel, which is interpreted the house of God. Jacob refused to let the angel go until he blessed him. The angel of the Lord blessed him, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel, which means he who prevails with God. Israel had 12 sons. One of his sons was Judah, from whom came King David, and 42 generations came our Savior Jesus Christ." Another of Israel's sons was Levi. Levi had a grandson, Amram, who was the father of the baby in our story, Moses. What a lineage of godly men for Moses to follow. The children of Israel had been in captivity in Egypt for 400 years when Moses was born. The Israelites had entered into Egypt under the best possible circumstances. There was a severe drought in their homeland, but the Nile Delta region was well-watered and prosperous. Their brother Joseph, whom they had sold into slavery and then lied to their father Israel, telling him that a wild animal had killed their brother, had become a trusted advisor to Pharaoh. Joseph forgave his brothers, understanding that it was God's plan for his life to be in Egypt and was reunited with them and his father Israel in that land. Because of Joseph's favor with Pharaoh, his father and his brothers found favor in Egypt too. Pharaoh's love for Joseph compelled him to give Israel and his family their own parcel of land, known as Goshen, which is interpreted the place of plenty. The Bible says that Israel and his family were fruitful in Goshen and increased abundantly, and the land was filled with their people. Eventually, Pharaoh died, as did Israel and Joseph and the entire generation of his brothers. Then a new Pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph. The Pharaoh in the opening chapter of Exodus was fearful of the Israelites because they were exceeding mighty. He feared that they would join with a foreign army against the Egyptians or would start a rebellion. In the first chapter of Exodus, we find that Pharaoh, in an attempt to keep the children of Israel from multiplying, set taskmasters over them and afflicted them with burdens. But the scripture says That the more the Egyptians afflicted them, the more that they multiplied and grew in Goshen. Pharaoh decided to come from another angle and commanded the Hebrew midwives, Shiphrah and Puah, to kill all of the male-born children in Israel. But the midwives feared God and did not what the king commanded them and saved the male children. In desperation, Pharaoh commanded all the people, both Hebrews and Egyptians, saying, every son that is born cast into the river. The Bible says that because the midwives feared God and because they did not cast the male children into the Nile, he dealt well with them and he made them houses Rabbis understand the term, made them houses, to mean that God made them priestly and Levitical households, that out of the households of Shifra and Puah came royal households in the kingdom of God. Because we understand that the Israelites had been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years at the time of Moses' birth, we understand that his parents— Amram and Jochebed were born into captivity themselves. One can speculate that Amram was a servant to the taskmaster and was burdened with bitter, hard bondage. Amram was of the tribe of Levi. Moses' mother, Jochebed, was also of the tribe of Levi. And according to Jewish practices and customs, married one of her kinsmen, Amram, yes? They were related. We'll get that out there right now. (laughs) They grew up hearing the stories of the ark their grandfather built some 13 generations before them. They heard the stories how Jehovah had promised their great-great-grandfather Abraham that because he did not withhold his son, that God would bless and multiply him and his family greatly. Amram and Jacobed knew that their grandfather Israel had wrestled with the angel of the Lord until he blessed him and his seed. They knew that Jehovah told Abraham that his seed would be sojourners in a strange land and that they would be afflicted, but they also knew that Jehovah promised that he would judge the nations they would serve. And when they came out of bondage, they would come out with great possessions and great blessings. They also knew that their tribe, the tribe of Levi, was special people to God above all the other 11 tribes. God had particular plans for the Levites. So they held to the promises and they held to their heritage all while living in a slave hut near the Nile River in Egypt. While in bondage, Jacobed had three children: Miriam, who was approximately 10 years old at the age or at the birth of Moses, and Aaron, who was three years old at Moses' birth, and Moses. It is safe to assume, according to historical timelines, that Aaron was one of the male children who were spared by the midwives, Shifra and Pua, and saved from Pharaoh's decree. But here is where the story takes a turn. Jewish historians record that rabbis identified Shifra Which means fair one or one who beautifies children after birth, as being Jacobed, being interpreted, Jehovah is her glory. Jacobed knew that because she feared the Lord and because she spared the Hebrew boys, her son Aaron being one of them, that God was dealing with her well and was giving her a priestly household. All three of her children became spiritual pillars for the Hebrew people. You see, her daughter Miriam became a prophetess, and her son Aaron became the high priest of Israel. But Moses became the greatest leader of Israel of all times. He was the voice of God to Pharaoh. He led the children of Israel out of bondage. He was the giver of God's law to his people. He was an advocate for the Israelites before God to spare them from God's judgment. She knew that her children were of the tribe of Levi, a people set apart for God's purpose. The Levites were set aside from the other tribes of Israel by God for service in the tabernacle. They were responsible for the altar, and they were responsible for sacrifice. The offerings meant for God were entrusted to the Levites. They kept the sacred things of the temple. They offered incense of praise unto God. Numbers 18 and 8 says that all of these things were reserved for the Levites by reason of the anointing of God. The fact that her three children were born in a slave hut in Egypt and became spiritual pillars for the children of Israel speaks of the influence of Jochebed. Jochebed portrayed unprecedented character. She was selfless risking the wrath of Pharaoh in order to please God. She was deeply devoted to her family, willing to save them at any cost. She led them by example and inspired them by her own life's pattern, raising them in obscurity only to rise in greatness. Deep and abiding love for her heritage As a daughter of Levi was one of her characteristics, unwilling to allow the extinction of a Levitical generation, she was kingdom-minded. She understood that God's plan and will had to move forward. However, Jacob's most distinguishing characteristic was her faith. Hebrews eleven twenty three says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of Pharaoh's commandments. They trusted in the promise of Jehovah and his delivering power. When the scripture says they saw that Moses was a proper child, most would believe that Amram and Jochebed saw his beauty, the perfectness of his skin, felt the softness of his hair, fell in love with the irresistible dimples in his hands and legs, or was smitten by the warmth of his sweet embrace. But what the scripture actually means is that Moses' parents saw that he was different because he was strong and he was a healthy baby, not sickly or weak. With infant mortality high in Egypt, they recognized that Moses was vigorous and well and could survive the conditions of slavery. So they hid Moses for three months can you imagine trying to stifle the cries of a three-month-old infant? How did a 10-year-old girl and a three-year-old boy keep the secret of a baby brother? Had Jacobed hid his brother Aaron just three years before? But as long as Amram and Jacobed shielded Moses from the destructive powers of the world, he was safe. They hid him within the four walls of their own home. Their home was a safe abode, and nothing could harm Moses while he was in their home. Thank God for parents who create homes like Amram and Jochebed and keep their children safe from the destructive powers that surround them on a daily basis. Soon the time came that things had to change. Moses could not continue to grow and thrive under those circumstances. His cries became too loud and his needs became too great. If Moses stayed hidden, his strength would be weakened and his ability to survive his circumstances would dwindle. At the death of Moses, the promise of a Levitical priesthood being birthed from Jochebed's home, would die along with him. It was only a result of Moses' survival and the fulfillment of God's purpose for his life that Miriam became a prophetess and Aaron became the high priest. These things could have not come to pass in her children's lives had they remained in bondage. Jochebed understood that she did not have the ability on her own to be the mother that Moses needed her to be. She knew that in order for her children to reach the full potential of what God's purpose was for their lives, she had to remove herself out of the way as Moses' mother. Jochebed made the hardest decision any mother could ever make. She was willing to allow God to redefine her role as mother. She was willing to place him in the hands of God and remove her hands from Moses' life. Can you imagine the inner turmoil of Jacobed, who understood that by making that decision, she would never watch her son take his first steps? She wouldn't walk him to the front of the schoolhouse for his first day of kindergarten. There would be no kisses at night, no tears to wipe away, or scrape knees to bandage. Jacobed understood that she would not have the ability to influence Moses' decisions for his future. She would lose her title as mother of the groom at his wedding. Her grandchildren wouldn't recognize her face or know her voice. Jacobed loved her children enough that she was willing to give up her position as Moses' mother, in order for God to be able to perform his will in her children's lives. Right. Be assured today, it's not easy to be a godly mother. Sometimes it's painful. There are times that we have to recognize that we can't control life circumstances for our children. If we continue to protect our kids, we may very well stunt their growth in God. Godly mothers may have to make decisions that cost us our control with our children. We may have to take our hands off and put our children in the hands of God. Our faith may be tested, and our trust in God may have to be proved, but he is able to keep that which we commit to him, even our own children. Amram and Jacobid trusted the salvation of the Lord because, in captivity, they had learned the story of their grandfather Noah, the formula for the ark, the place of safety from destruction had been passed down thirteen generations to their generation. The secret recipe of pitch that waterproofed the ark and caused it to float and had been shared with them like a priceless family heirloom. The scripture says in Exodus two that Jacob made an ark for Moses, of bulrush. And she covered it in pitch, and she laid the small ark in the flags near the river's bank. I am only assuming that her spirit broke and her heart ached to the point that she couldn't breathe. Her precious baby, in danger of Pharaoh's command, yet in danger of the crocodiles that laid in wait in the Nile River, floated helplessly with only God that would help him uh, as his hope. She instructed her daughter Miriam to watch from afar and report to her mother of Moses' fate, but she herself could not bear to witness it for herself. Don't you imagine that she ran home to the arms of Amram, who tried but could not console her bleeding heart? I can hear a mother's groan as she pleaded with Jehovah to do whatever he had to do to save her son's life. Some of you have been there, Some of you are there now. You've cried. You've prayed. You've begged God. You've almost lost your mind with worry. You couldn't stand to watch as your child floated near danger. You have turned your child over to God and then grasped for control once again. Hear me today when I say that the salvation of the Lord is for your children just like it was for Moses your lineage may not be of the tribe of Judah or of the tribe of Levi but you have been grafted into the vine adopted into the body of Christ and every promise of God is for you just as it was for Jacob and Amram train up a child in the way that they should go and when they are old they will not depart from it train them up pass the stories along increase their faith in Jehovah and you will reap the blessing of a Jochebed spirit. All right. All right. The story goes that Pharaoh's daughter saw the ark and instructed her maidens to fetch it for her. Scripture says that when she opened the ark that she saw the baby and he wept and she had compassion on the Hebrew child. Where. Miriam came from. I'm not quite sure. Would you like for me to call a nurse of the Hebrew woman that she can nurse the baby for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, go. Miriam went and called her mother, Moses' mother, and she came to Pharaoh. Can you imagine the anticipation of Jochebed, who longed to hold her baby and to calm his cries? Was Pharaoh's daughter going to report Jochebed to her father? Would she force Jochebed to watch as she tossed Moses in the Nile and be consumed by the crocodiles? Pharaoh's daughter never asked Jochebed, "'Is this your child?' Instead, she said to Jochebed, take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. Because of Jochebed's willingness, To sacrifice herself as Moses' mother, just like her grandfather, Abraham, who was willing to sacrifice his son, Isaac, God provided Jochebed with the opportunity to be a mother to Moses for a space of time. The Bible does not specifically say how long Jochebed had Moses. In those days, a child may be weaned upwards of five years of age. All we can do is surmise that Jochebed knew that her time with Moses and her time as his mother was short. I can imagine her taking in every moment of his firsts, his first tooth, his first step, his first words. I can envision Jochebed rehearsing with Moses. How many gods are there, Moses? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. At bedtime, she probably told him stories of Adam and Eve and how Cain killed Abel because God did not accept his sacrifice. She probably told him about his grandfather Noah and how the ark that saved his family was the exact same type of ark that had saved him in the Nile River. I'm sure Jochebed told him of Abraham and how he himself would rise to greatness because of Jehovah's promise to his grandfather. But most importantly, she had to have told him that although they were in Egypt, that God would send them one that would deliver them. Just like Jehovah had raised his great uncle Joseph to a place of power with Pharaoh in order to deliver Israel and his seed, God would raise a man up to lead them out of bondage. Maybe this is what settled in Moses' spirit. It could have been this time in Moses' life that grounded him in his identity as a Hebrew and not as an Egyptian. I believe the stories of his forefathers established his faith in Jehovah. But this much I do know. Had Jochebed not been willing to sacrifice her position as the mother of Moses, God's will for Moses' life would have never been accomplished. The Bible does not say that Jochebed lived to see Moses lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. She probably did not witness the pillar of cloud by day. I doubt that she felt the heat of the pillar of fire by night that led the way. Most likely, she never tasted of the water of the rock that sustained them. She didn't glean the manna every morning. All we do know is that her decision to step aside and allow God's will to be performed in her precious child's life that she held so dear, not only saved him, it saved an entire nation. Jacobed relinquished her control, her influence, her ability to make decisions on her son's behalf. She refused to make excuses once Moses was an adult as to why he never achieved what God wanted him to because she refused to let go and allow God to lead his way. But instead, she put her child in the hands of a God that she had learned to trust in Egypt. She feared the Lord as Shifra, one who beautifies children. And she trusted the Lord as Jacobed. Jehovah was her glory. Her fear and her trust in God birthed a royal priesthood in her home and it changed a nation. I'm challenging mothers today. Put your children in the hands of God and remove your hands and allow God to lead their way. Teach them to fear the Lord. Teach them to trust God and to know that their trust in God is their sure foundation. Make sure that their knowledge of God is sure. Pass the stories along. Instill in them a love for the word of God and the things of God. And let them know that God will be their salvation one day. And when you do, I promise you that you will birth a royal priesthood and a chosen generation in your home because you placed your children in the hands of the Lord. If it's your desire for God to have his will and his way in your children, why don't you just let him know that this morning, that, Lord, we turn our children over to you, and we put them in your hands and trust you, God, to perform your will and make them a royal priesthood for you, and we're going to give you glory for it. Clap your hands to the Lord.
0: Let's stand together today. Maybe there's a mom standing next to you, and if it's appropriate to do so, just reach over and take them by the hand right now. We're going to pray one for another and pray the strength of the Lord over every mother in this house today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come today, Lord, asking you for help and strength. Lord, to make the hard decisions, although they're the right decisions. God, in raising family and rearing children, God, to do your will and your way, Lord, that mighty things may come from the decisions and the work and the labor of our ladies. God, that you would bless the fruits of their hands, O God, and that everything they do be blessed. Bless this church through them, O Lord. Bless their families through them, O Lord. And God, we give you honor and we give you praise today, and we thank you, O God. We magnify the name of Jesus. Somebody help me praise him today help me praise him today hallelujah 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 we thank you lord we thank you